Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is match weeks 22 and 23. I am Braden. I am back with my co-host and brother, Ethan. How's it going? And these few weeks got some FA Cup stuff slipped in there in the beginning, but um, some shifty games. Arsenal, Liverpool, that was a big clash. Um, a lot of goals. Turned into the... <laughs> galacticos for two weeks yeah it's just <laughs> remarkable and we'll cover that um a lot of a lot of forms skyrocketing and dipping um at different times united is certainly a talking point wolves so definitely a lot to talk about these two weeks and usually you can't go two weeks in the premier league without having at least something to talk about yeah i think both it wasn't just lopsided you know from match week 22 to 23 like both both match weeks produce some sure, really good absolutely. games and some really good storylines. But before we get into all of that, um, some pretty big FIFA news came out. Not the video game. In terms of the World Cup, it is just announced that the 2026 World Cup hosted in America, the Americas, the Northern Americas, that is, uh, the final is being hosted at MetLife Stadium in our great state of New Jersey. Who would have thought, Ethan? Uh, it absolutely is coming to New Jersey, except FIFA is doing their very best to just like kind of like slide push it like, across the uh, push River. it, yeah, <laughs> push it under the rug. Yeah, they're they're calling it you know New York, New Jersey. They're putting they're putting the New York first. They're uh, acting like people very, aren't coming to this for New Jersey. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't understand. Like no no one's no one's staying in the city. All right, everyone's gonna be staying you know East Rutherford, Bloomfield, yeah. you know like the the landmarks, you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like I guarantee you, if this final was happening at Yankee Stadium, they're not calling this uh, New York, New Jersey <laughs> <laughs> final. All right, New Jersey would wouldn't get a chance to be included in there. Yeah. Uh, no, I I just think it's it's very funny, and like in like the uh, in like the graphic, you know, they have like the Statue of Liberty. You yeah, know, yeah. they have like you know the New York City skyline. Uh, you know, Empire State Building. You know what? No, no Jersey Shore in there. <laughs> no American no. Dream, uh, giant uh, <laughs> ski fucking slope, indoor ski slope. Yeah, <laughs> come on, unbelievable. What? No Wawa? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Where? Where's the Jersey Pride? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Where's the Gavagool? <laughs> um, where's Tommy DeVito yeah. in this? Like, they, they, they had Kevin Hart, they had Kim Kardashian, they had Drake. Like, all yeah. just like the most. Just like chucking American Canadian, yeah. you know, big names at you. Um, but yeah, no Tommy DeVito. No, yeah. Like, come on, what no Jersey rep? We're Snooky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's unbelievable. It's, it's funny, honest. but it's, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that like we could go to a World Cup final and be home in forty-five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of wild. Yeah, it's a, it's it's in our, it's in our backyard should, basically. Should really fucking VRBO our house. I, I went to. <laughs> I went to East Rutherford for work the past two summers. Yeah. Like I could see MetLife Stadium, you know, yeah. as I had to drive home. Yeah. So yeah, wow. it is very cool. Football is legitimately coming home, but not to the actual home to our yeah. home. <laughs> um, How many bacon, egg, and cheeses do you think are going to be consumed by <laughs> the the competing teams? Look, Italy, Italian cuisine, like. Think about like British cuisine, right? Italian cuisine's good. They'll probably be like, all right, whatever, bacon, egg, and cheese. But British, 
You, you tell me going from peas and mash to a good bacon, egg, and cheese hash brown, salt, pepper, ketchup. Yeah. And you're, you're not, like, moving in. Like, come on. <laughs> Brand, Brand's about to find out what an actual breakfast is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was, where's, I'll have a if they, if they make it to yeah. the final. Yeah. If they walk For, into forget a about a World yeah. Cup. The, the future of British cuisine rests on England's, <laughs> on Southgate's. Well, we'll see if Southgate's there in 2026. Yeah. But it rests on the England team's shoulders. There's they could like, be eating peas and mash and... Yeah. You know, continental breakfast, beans on toast for another two hundred years if they don't make it to this final. All you right, might, you might get shot in steaks. New Jersey if you ask for peas and mash for breakfast from like a deli. Yeah, <laughs> like a little full English <laughs> with the blood sausage. Oh my god, <laughs> beans on toast. Yeah, you get yeah. slapped across the fucking face. Yeah, Luigi will be having none of that at the front <laughs> counter. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm sure the memes will come in thick and fast once that does roll around. Um, yes. <laughs> as they have been all day, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. But we must move on for the sake of time to some Match Week 22 content, starting off with just one feature match, 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 one feature match for Match Week 22. Three total, but just one for Match Week 22. And that's Wolves 3, Manchester United 4. A game that I'm not sure many Manchester United fans were optimistic they were going to go and win, especially the way teams have played at Molyneux recently, which has been poor. Molyneux has been a mm-hmm. bit of a fortress over the last couple months of the season, and United went in there, dropped four on their heads, and got all three points. The goals come from Rashford in the fifth, Hoyland in the 22nd, then Sarabia penalty in the 71st, McTominay in the 75th, Max Kilman in the 85th, and then... A little bit of chaos. Pedro Neto equalized in the 90 plus five. However, Kobe, Kobe Minu, who has been a, a miniature breakout star for Manchester United this year, hasn't been on the score sheet yet, but in the way he has conducted himself on the field has definitely opened some eyes. He slaloms through the Wolves defense, scores a very, very nice goal from defensive mid, I think is where he plays. And grabs yeah. all three for United at Molyneux. Four threes, your final score. And this is a crazy seven goal thriller. Crazy match. Yeah, first of all, forget about just scoring a stoppage time winner as an 18 year old for your boyhood club in a 4 3 thriller. But like, this is honestly one of the best goals I've seen this season. He, he beats like three guys and then yeah. just calmly slots at bomb corner. And then even the celebration. Like, this guy should be, like, ripping his shirt yeah. off, breaking out into tears. And he's just he's doing, like, the calma. Yeah, he's, like, 18 like, years old. Yeah. No, that was that was one of the toughest things I've seen in the Prem this season. So, as if Kobe Mainu needed more reasons for praise, because he has been fantastic for yeah. United uh, for, you know, completely different reasons, because he's just been so calm and composed in the midfield. Exactly what they've really needed in there, especially in uh, Casemiro's absence, both of, you know, his presence and good performances before he was mm-hmm. gone before injury. Um, although he is back now, and I should point out that he did play pretty well in this game and has been looking more like himself than he did the, yeah. before the injury. Um, but yeah, Mainu, just insanely good player and insanely great moment for him. And United absolutely deserved this win. This would have been... A really spoiled performance had Mainu not scored the winner because 
United put in four, and they honestly were good for six or seven. Casemiro was slightly offside when he put one in. Same mm-hmm. for Hoyland. They created a lot of chances. This was just a really good attacking display from United when, obviously, they desperately need some good attacking displays. And Rashford, you know, silencing his critics after some of the drama that went on last weekend with uh, him at the, you know, being a little hungover for... <laughs> Yeah, you know, for Newport County. Is that what that uh, was? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was. Well, he was. Uh, pictured was at like trouble. a nightclub. Yeah, I knew he was. In yeah, he was pictured at a nightclub, and then the next day, you know, he was feeling too ill for training, and then. Mm. Yeah, you know, been there, buddy. We, we all been yeah. there. <laughs> Feel ya. <laughs> uh, <laughs> happens to the best of us. <laughs> but yeah, so obviously, a lot of headlines for Rashford for all the wrong reasons. Five minutes in scores a peach of a goal. Great curler mm. uh, past Jose Saab. So that was really good for him to get that off his back. Hoyland continues his scoring form, which obviously can't hurt for him. That kind of confidence. McTominay, who may still be United's top scorer uh, <laughs> this season. I guess I guess Hoyland's probably ahead of him now, but still way up there. Uh, but yeah, overall just... Really, really impressive performance from United. Obviously, they squeaked it out in the end, but it was really good all around. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Wolves definitely showed some character to come back in this game. They like their form continued into this game. I think United just were a little more clinical. Um, uh, Wolves. I watched a decent amount of this game. Um. Not the last 25 minutes, which is where a lot of the action happened. Um, but I was 2 nothing when I checked out. And then I checked back after class and it was 4-3. Um, so I missed a lot. But from what I did see, United were definitely more confident on the attack. Garnacho playing really well. Continued that. Um, obviously, Petroneto back for Wolves. is just adds a dynamic that kind of opens up everything. You know, because Cunha has been good and you could tell he's like probably the best player in the team without Neto but he can't really do it himself and he was like over dribbling giving the ball away but now they have Neto and as we'll get to in the <clears throat> the Chelsea game after it really opens things up and even if you're playing a you know strong team like United on paper um you have that like dynamic going forward and that's huge for Wolves and this might be the last couple months they have with them so I would savor that while you can um, but yeah United were probably the better team and especially from where they were 2 nothing in the 71st minute giving up that penalty it would have been disappointing to see them give it away they did give it away um, maybe the football gods just you know slipped them one at the end um, who knows but yeah I, I think it was a just result but they definitely fumbled this at the end and, and got a little bit fortunate. Um, nothing fortunate about the goal, but obviously late winners are... They come with some degree of luck, no matter how good they are. Um, stats are pretty even, possession-wise, shots-wise, but I think United were a little more clinical, a little more direct, a little more aggressive. And, like, in another universe, this is like 4-1, 5-1, but turns out it was just a little more entertaining. Yeah, luckily for us. <laughs> um, 
And we'll continue with some scores from around the grounds for match week 22. Starting off with Nottingham Forest 1, Arsenal 2. Three points for Arsenal on the road. Jesus, then Saka, then the obligatory Taiwani goal against Arsenal. Home away, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. He will, uh, doesn't even matter if he starts, honestly. I don't think he's even started in the last <laughs> he, three he, games. He did not, he did not yeah. start. Didn't start today. No, this, is, this, is his, yeah. this is his first game back in a while. And yeah. I saw I saw Wonyi on the bench, and I'm like, I really hope he doesn't come on. <laughs> when he came on for a second half, I'm like, well, we need two in this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a pretty lopsided performance. 74% possession, 19 shots to nine. Um, that's kind of been the story of Arsenal recently. The possession and the shots have been there, but the clinicality has been lacking on the day just enough to get it done. Luton Town 4, Brighton Hove Albion nil. This one was over from within five minutes. If you hit some traffic on the way to this game. Within like three minutes. Yeah, (laughs) if you hit some traffic on the way to this game, unfortunately, you missed a lot. Uh, Elijah Adebayo in the first. Uh, Ogbene in the third and then Elijah Adebayo in the 42nd to 56 to complete his first senior hat trick. Um, four nil is your final at Kenilworth road, a statement Kenilworth road performance. Some teams just go there and can't handle it. That Brighton was one of those teams Luton down on very good form even before this game. Continue that in. This is a team that I don't think anybody had surviving and now they look like a team that could comfortably survive with with a string of these performances. So good for Luton Town. Brighton Hove Albion's form has been up and down this year, and this game is no different. Yeah, I don't think we should quite gloss over just how like insane of a result this is. Yeah. Like, could you imagine at the start of this season saying Luton we're gonna beat Brighton four yeah. yeah. 0 Like th- this is an absolutely ridiculous result. And while it kind of I shouldn't say makes sense. Obviously, this is a ridiculous scoreline. You know. No matter what, obviously it's not insane that Luton would be Brighton at home, just the way Luton's playing right now, especially at Kenilworth Road, and then just the way Brighton have been very just mediocre this season at mm-hmm. times. But still, a four four nil against Brighton yeah. is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just so so much credit to Luton. What Rob Edwards is doing with that team, who. Almost everybody, including you and me, said we're finishing rock yeah. bottom of the Premier League, yeah. and we'll and we'll have our chance to give Luton some more praise in a minute. But yeah, just insane result. Fulham nil, Everton nil. A sleepy performance from both teams on the day. A lot of shots, but not a lot of goals. Fulham probably carried the majority of the possession, majority of the chances. Everton soaking up pressure like a Sean Dyche team does on the road. And mix that all together, and what do you get? Nil nil at Craven Cottage. Crystal Palace three, Sheffield United two. This was a the essence of Crystal Palace. It was what came through on the day. Uh, Diaz got a starter for Sheffield in the first. Then all three goals, by the way, for Palace were pretty spectacular. Oh yeah, um, fantastic. As a gets his foot on a cross that he almost like flicks behind him and the keeper had no chance. Then uh, James McAtee in the 20th get, takes the lead again. Not more than seven minutes later as takes the lead with a screamer. Alize gets the winner with another screamer in the 67th. It's really been these two and these two only going forward for Crystal Palace recently. And they get the job done at home against Sheffield United, a team that if you're playing the Premier League this season, you need to beat. 
and they got the job done. Yeah, yeah. Eze and Elise are just, they're yeah. so, so good. And Palace will be desperately trying to hold on to them in the summer, I'm sure. It's trying to but keep them honestly, out of the like, injury list, mainly. Yeah, yeah. Aston Villa 1, Newcastle 3. Newcastle go and beat Aston Villa at home, which is something that not many teams could say this year. Fabian Scher in the 32nd and 36th, believe it or not. And Alex Brando on goal in the 52nd, sees him go up 3-0. Then Ollie Watkins in the 71st gets a consolation goal. 3-1 is your final at Villa Park. And in a game that we predicted to be pretty even, Newcastle kind of stormed him. Yeah, yeah. We, but we definitely both were aware of the fact that Villa's home form was slipping a bit. Mm-hmm. But I don't think either of us expected Newcastle to just completely dominate, at least the first 60 minutes. Aston Villa actually, after they got that one goal back, Looked pretty good, and we're very close to finding a second to really mount the pressure. But overall, it was pretty much all Newcastle. Manchester City 3, Burnley 1, Julian Alvarez in the 16th and the 22nd, Rodri in the 46th to make it 3-0, and then Amino the Kiel in the 90th plus 3 as consolation. City take all three points as they did during match week 1, and this result is... Nothing but expected for the champions. Tottenham 3, Brentford 2. A very back and forth game that started off with Neil po- no, Mope in the 15th doing the uh, James Madison celebration, which uh, Tottenham took personally because they scored. Yeah, we, we got, first of all, we got to talk about Neil Mope being just arg- arguably the greatest Premier League shithouse <laughs> of all time. Like, obviously, Jamie Vardy, you know is a conversation as well too but Neil Mope in recent weeks has just been reminding us yeah. all of what he's capable of seriously uh, not like, only in terms of goal scoring but yeah. the the shithousery as well and yeah. some of the some of the stuff you're saying about like sorry I've got to go off on a bit of a tangent yeah. here but he was he was talking about Madison saying like because because Madison also loves the loves the shit talking to and the yeah. shithousery yeah. he he'll, he'll respond all the time and uh, I forget what exactly it was, but Mope basically said that he had more goals and less relegations than oh yeah post game like it really after yeah the he loss. said he said this post game <laughs> yeah not only did he say that after a loss but like you're really a striker comparing goals yeah. with a midfielder like that that's where you're gonna yeah try take your win like. <laughs> Just feels yeah, like he's going thought, through a breakup or something. Just like projecting this yeah. like negativity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm here for it, but like it just so who hurt yeah. you? No, entertaining at least. <laughs> yeah. But like like don't don't pick fights with players yeah. who are like objectively better than yeah. you. Like uh, if you want to talk shit, like that's fine, but don't try to say you're better than Madison. Yeah. Like you're you're nowhere near his level. <laughs> like <laughs> anyway. He gets the goal in the 15th, and then Destiny Odogi in the 48th, Brandon Johnson in the 49th to turn it right around after halftime. Richarlison, who's on great form in the 56th to make it 3-1. Ivan Tony gets a peculiar goal in the 67th, uh, but it would not matter. Tottenham win 3-2 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It was really an onslaught from the beginning. Tottenham finding their form again uh, after getting James Madison back. Just one piece is missing for them. Kilman saw away at uh, the Asian Cup until their full team is back. Van Deveen, Madison, and Son all back in the team. 
and we go back to top of the table Fulham at Fulham top of the table <laughs> Spurs. Um, I don't know where Fulham came from. Uh, top of the table yeah, Spurs. Um, that's the same team that was dominating the Premier League for the first ma- couple match weeks of the season. So who knows? Who knows? Another monkey wrench into this wild Premier League season. Liverpool four, Chelsea one. This is a game that I said was going to be five two, and it was four one. So honestly, yeah, decent prediction there. I was in. I was not expecting a lot of goals here. Twenty eight so, shots and thirteen on target for Liverpool kind of tells the story. Uh, Diogo Jota in the twenty third, Connor Bradley's first senior goal in the thirty ninth, Dominic Sloboslai in the sixty fifth, Christopher Nkunku would get one back in the seventy first before Luis Diaz would seal it in the seventy ninth, and that's your final. At Anfield, really no match for Liverpool on the day. Liverpool take all three. Yeah, credit to Connor Bradley too. Um, he's been fantastic since he's come into the team. Really good performance here against Chelsea. It was really good um in the FA Cup. Uh, I mean it's a shame that you know Alexander Arnold is back and he's probably gonna lose his place, mm-hmm. but still a great prospect for them and definitely good for. Flop knowing that if Alexander Arnold goes down again, they have a suitable replacement. West Ham won, Bournemouth won. Points are shared at the London Stadium. Dominic Solanke in the third minute. James Ward-Prowse penalty in the 61st minute. I'm getting a hell of a lot of fantasy value out of James Ward-Prowse this season. He gets crosses oh, yeah. completed, I got, key I've got passes. In, in mine too. Yeah, he is unbelievable. Got him off waivers in like week two. He has been like He's like a top five. He was on waivers. Yeah, in like after Are week, week two, he wasn't drafted. I'm in the tenth week. Oh, wait. When when did he go the when did he go to West Ham? Because if he if he it was, might have been after. Yeah, it could have been after the. Uh, the it must day. have been after because Ward Prowse even last season on Southampton was still one of the highest scoring mm-hmm. midfielders. Like either way, know, you're playing with bums. Points, <laughs> yeah, points are shared. <laughs> um. And Bournemouth sit 12th, modestly 12th, uh, while West Ham sits 7th. And to wrap up match week 22, we have nothing. The last match week was the last game of the match week was Wolves United. So that actually wrapped up match week 22. Uh, we move swiftly along to match week 23, starting off with Newcastle 4, Luton Town 4. Back to back four goal hauls for Luton Town. Is not a phrase I thought I would say in the beginning of the season, uh, but they did it, and quite remarkably so. We start off in the seventh minute. Sean Longstaff gets Newcastle on the board, then Gabriel Osho equalizer in the 21st. Sean Longstaff again takes the lead in the 23rd, not before Ross Barkley equalizes in the 40th, then a Colton Morris penalty in the 59th, and an Elijah Adebayo goal in the 62nd sees Luton go up 4-2 in Tyneside. But there was still some soccer to play. Christian, Christian, I am all over the fucking place today. Kieran <laughs> Trippier in the 67th, not his brother Christian. Kieran Trippier in the 67th pulls one back. Harvey Barnes in the 73rd gets them level and still plenty of football left to win it. No one ended up winning it, which would have made this game somehow more remarkable than it already was. And Newcastle and Luton Town both had probably equal chances to win this thing in the last 15 yeah. minutes. Joe um, Murphy had yeah. uh, Joe. 
See, yeah. now I'm doing That's it. Jacob Murphy. <laughs> Jacob Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> it's spreading to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jacob Jacob Murphy had pretty much a tapping at the yeah. back post yeah. to win it. And then I think either Adebayo or Olio show, uh, had a volley uh, into the hands of Debravka at the end. So, yeah, could have been Oli Olsho. Olsho. Uh, is there an Oli Olsho I don't that think also so. exists? I think it's Gabriel Olsho. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You, Both on one you, you guys get the gist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is, this is a rough one. <laughs> Either way, ridiculous game um, at St. James. And I, just, a, I mean, both teams, like, you think, oh, what a performance from Luton Town to go get points at Newcastle. But it was really the other way around, where Newcastle had to kick into high gear to even take points from this game. Yeah. Yeah, it was a ridiculous game. Um, And Luton really looked like the better team for a very good portion of it. Um the Newcastle the Newcastle defending was very shambolic in this game, I have to say, especially at St. James's Park where it's usually a fortress. Uh the last 3 games at St. James's, they've taken 1 point from and conceded 10 goals in the process. Wow. So yeah, so a pretty shocking statistic right there uh and again you know the first half of this season all of last season you know it is so tough to you know find a goal at st james's no matter who comes to town and now i mean they they just look so open on the counter-attack and some of the man like on on the counter-attack they just look so or at least defending the counter-attack they just look so disorganized they just weren't picking up runners (laughs) yeah you know, guys are having just like three shots in the box, basically. So Eddie Howe really needs to shore up that defense. And there aren't any injuries right now on that back line. I don't believe Botman's healthy, Shares healthy, Burn Trippier. Yeah, it's a fully healthy back line. So there's really no excuse mm. uh, for Newcastle there, which, you know, they've had the injury excuse for most of the season, but right now they do not. So I'm not sure what was going on there, but Luton definitely deserved credit because they they took the game to Newcastle and they looked very threatening. They were very direct and they were ruthless on the counter and they took their chances. Yeah, yeah. I think this injury, quote unquote, crisis has gotten to them, especially in the midfield. Uh, losing to Linton is, I think, a lot bigger than people think just because now they're sliding in Longstaff, who's not nearly as athletic as Joe Linton is. And I remember one of those marquee styles of defending for Newcastle last year was just their like athleticism and the ground they cover defensively. And they double team those wingers, make it so hard for those like top level wingers, the Sakas, the Salas, uh Mares last year. Like they just they they make it so difficult for you because of how athletic they are in the midfield. And Jolinta was a key part of that. Gamara still there, obviously, is another one. Um, but like you slot in Lewis Miley for uh Jolinton and then Longstaff comes in. It just it the overall quality of the team dips and obviously the form they're on is not great. Losing Isaac up front playing Anthony Gordon at the number nine in this game because Kyle Wilson wasn't 100% fit. Like, it just throws the whole team off balance, and it's it's tough to kind of just, like, 
like the teams that are on the best form start usually start the same team every single week, and then, but this Newcastle team just players are dropping like flies, and they they just can't get a consistent lineup out there. So I I feel for Newcastle a little bit because it's it's been difficult on them this season with the injuries. Obviously, losing Sandro Tonali is another huge thing. That like if they had Tonali and a healthy Jolinton, like they're probably pushing top four. But now yeah, they're, they're that, just, that would be yeah. that mid, that midfield trio would just be absolutely yeah you know, a nightmare. And to deal before with. he got suspended, they were like really really solid in the midfield, and all of a sudden yeah. they're just wide open and. I don't think it's on really anyhow. I think he's just trying to work with what he's got. And sometimes it's just not enough. That's the way it is. Luton Town, on the other hand, all these guys that we were just like, ah, these are like plug-and-play guys. Fucking Ross Barkley, Sambi Lakonga, uh, Adebayo was nowhere before, nowhere to be seen before these games. Like I, I drafted him and then dropped him in fantasy because I was like, oh, this guy's got to score some goals. And then he just did because the whole team was just wasn't scoring goals. And all of a sudden, these guys are stepping up. Osho stepping up. Uh, Carlton Morris. Uh, it just, it's crazy. It kept a clean sheet last week, too, against uh, Brighton. Like, all of a sudden, Ross Barkley's playing like a PFA player of the fucking year. All of a sudden. Like, yeah, I, I was going to, I was going to get into Ross Barkley because he, he just, he just looks so good in the <laughs> midfield. He looks like, like he's in the prime of his yeah. career. Like, he's just so composed. He just looks so confident, like yeah. just to take guys on to control the ball in tight spaces. Like he he's fun to watch. Like yeah. he, he genuinely is. And he is yeah. just a creative, you know, focal point of this Luton team. Yeah. That they really needed and are capitalizing on with, you know, clinical play from their forwards, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Alf, Alfie Dowdy, another player that deserves mentioning. He's been really, really good these last couple of weeks uh, off the left wing back spot. Um, but yeah, this whole team just playing like a unit. The three four three is just very, very solid if you can get it right. And you know, like I said, a matter of minutes ago, when you get like the same team every single week, you start to build chemistry. And it's kind of been these same guys building chemistry. Barkley has cemented his place. Sammy Lakonga, nice for Arsenal fans. He's cemented his place in this team as well. 90 minutes every week. Um, and this front three is firing. It's, I mean, it's, it's cool to see. You know, I, pre- I predict them to go down, but this is a team that by a miracle scraped into the Premier League last year. And it's cool to see him play well. And I'm, 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 I am happy for him because they play in like a fucking high school arena. Yeah, and they certainly look like they belong here too. Yeah, absolutely. Dropping four goals at St. James is something. Has anyone scored? I think it's probably the most away goals anyone's scored this year at St. James. Probably, yeah. And what and what isn't even being mentioned is the fact that they're missing Tom Lockyer, their you yeah. know captain and yeah. rock at the back. Like the fact that this, you know, surgeon form has, you know, been after. You know they lost Lockyer is just makes it all even more impressive. Yeah. yeah. We move on to the second feature match of match week twenty three. Arsenal three, Liverpool one. For all intent purposes, a six pointer at the top of the table. Where Arsenal go and get the job done at home. It starts off in the fourteenth minute with Bukayo Saka off a. Pretty fabulous team move. Finds his way to Kai Havertz. 
slams the ball off the keeper as only Kai Havertz could do. And you mean enough, tactically bounces yeah. it off of you know Allison's chest. Tactically bounces off of Allison's chest right into the path of Saka. Uh, not credited mm-hmm. with an assist for some reason, but I guess yeah. just didn't see it the way I did. Um, yeah, they they don't they just can't comprehend you know <laughs> Havertz's genius. It's fine. It's, we, we it's know not easy. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> Bukayo Saka, fortunately or not fortunately, was there in the 14th minute to give Arsenal the lead. Then I was well, I was watching this with uh, our father as he was visiting Bloomington for the weekend. Uh, I called it the worst goal I've ever seen conceded in the Premier League. Uh, I have since slightly retracted that statement, but I still think it's probably bottom five goals I've ever mm-hmm. seen conceded in the Premier League. Just like unreal how many like unfortunate slash how could you let that happen events happened in the span of seven seconds. And somehow yeah. the ball goes into the net. Nonetheless, and also at the worst time to concede a goal ever, besides like the 95th minute, is like right before uh-huh. halftime. Um, especially when you're dominated the first half. Nonetheless, 1-1 going into halftime. Definitely Arsenal's game to win at this point. Uh, they come out kind of flat. Not Don't keep their foot on the gas. Maybe demoralized by the goal. Who knows? Yeah, but, Liverpool definitely... Yeah. Klopp definitely got into his yeah. team at halftime. Liverpool did look good coming out of the half. Definitely, definitely the best spell but of the game. It was pretty, yeah. But pretty much, other than those ten fifty minutes after the half, it yeah. continued to be Arsenal's game. Um, shout out Liverpool, man! Always playing a fair game. They decided to return the favor in the sixty seventh minute <laughs> with almost as equally a bad goal. Um, but I'd say I'd say it was worse. <laughs> it could be worse. Um. Allison and Van Dyke get into a weird miscommunication fest that leaves Gabriel Martinelli with the entire goal to shoot for from 18 yards out. Makes no mistake. 2-1 Arsenal in the 67th minute. Time goes on. As you might expect, Arsenal will take their foot off the gas a little bit. Liverpool, a little bit of pressure. Nothing too wild. Uh, and then Leandro Trossard comes on, spins Harvey Elliott, gets down the wing, slams the ball in. It Tips off Van Dyke. Allison, look, it's he's gonna get a lot of the blame for that because you shouldn't be beat from there, but it got redirected and it's very tough for keepers. Yeah. Uh, especially on the taller end. Uh but the ball finds the back of the net to seal all three points for Arsenal. Uh Emirates goes up in flames. Kanate red card slipped in there in the eighty eighth that I didn't talk about. That was I mean, mm. no real complaints there. That's you're out of yellow and you can't really be just yeah. It was a textbook table. yellow. Yeah. Like even good enough for a second yellow. Yeah. I know, obviously, there's a higher standard, but it was it was cynical. So, three one is the final at the Emirates Stadium title race. Back on for the Gunners, Ethan. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, well until City, in all likelihood, win their game at hand to go uh, a point clear of Liverpool and three points clear of yeah. Arsenal. But point is gap from. First to third is likely to be three points. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, this is a three horse race once again. And yeah, it was it was seemed like a must win game for Arsenal. It's hard to say that in early February, but it definitely did seem like mm-hmm. Arsenal really just had yeah. to win it to be to be back in. And if they lost, it was they lost. It was over. Almost. I would done say dusted. I would say it's a can't lose. 
mm-hmm. win uh, at this stage. If this was in April, it's a must win, undoubtedly. Yeah. But there's a lot of time for Liverpool to trip up. Salah's still injured. Not that they don't have replacements for him, but I think it's a win that is important and certainly makes it much easier. I would say if you lose, you focus on the Champions League or top four, honestly, because at that point you're one point clear of Villa and four points clear of uh, <clears throat> no, not one point clear of Villa, tied with Villa, two points clear of Spurs for fifth. So that's at that point, it's clinked to the top four with everything you have, uh, but they didn't and they were much, much the better team. XG was like 3.4 to point six or something like that and that included the should be mentioned that the xg was probably pumped up a little bit by the probably like 0.99 uh xg of martinelli's goal sure so Um, (laughs) also like Sokka probably should have got one in the first like nine minutes of the game that he just missed also yeah Sokka's goal too is also pretty much an empty net so i don't think you really need to look at the xg to understand the arsenal is a much better team in this Mm -hmm. game and it was really because of the midfield battle um, Jorginho and Rice put in an absolute master class emphasis on Jorginho because obviously you know everybody's talking about how good and consistent Rice has been so we we really need not say more about Rice but Jorginho put in an absolute master class he got the man of the match award and rightfully so mm-hmm. because he barely put a foot wrong not only was he doing what you normally expect of Jorginho which is just to be composed on the ball distribute the ball very well but he was also ball winning too um he he really just did everything and he wasn't just you know distributing passes in the midfield he was making some key forward passes in the final third yeah he was just immense and arteta and rice couldn't have had more good things to say about him and rightfully so yeah because this is it's gotta be the best performance i've seen him mm-hmm. put in in an arsenal shirt and he he does get a lot of criticism, uh, often unjustifiably. Yeah. Uh, but he deserved all the praise that he got because not only has he played, did he play fantastic in this game, but he's played well recently too. Other yeah. than the obviously big mistake in the North London Derby that in the end cost Arsenal two points, he really has had a very good season mm-hmm. for Arsenal. So he he definitely deserves all the credit that he's getting right now yeah and i think the entire lineup is for the most part locked besides that third midfielder like the 10 is going to be odegaard the six is going to be rice it's always that third midfielder that could be havertz it could be trossard at times it could be ml smith row like it was last week it could be Jorginho. could be you know yeah el nanny you know if arteta's team south. when healthy usually lacks rotation mm-hmm but that I that position, like you said, I mean, what five different yeah. players yeah. have started and, there this season, yeah. which is unheard of. I was I was good. Where I was going with that was that it usually fluctuates based on the type of game. Like mm-hmm. last week, um, they needed that kind of attacking spark, that second grade of midfielder, so they went with Emil Smith Rowe. And when they uh, they've gone with Havertz in that spot because they needed that attacking quality, um. But in this game, they knew they were going to get pressed and they knew that they needed a better press breaker than Havertz and Emil Smith-Rowe. So he called on Jorginho, who has not gotten many starts this year at all. 
I, I, can, I can only remember a, a handful, really. It's been mostly Havertz uh, in that eight spot. But I guess with with Tr- Jesus injured, they moved Havertz up, and they could have gone with Smith Rowe again. I thought they were going to go with Smith Rowe again because he put in a decent performance against Forrest. But in hindsight, that was a really good play because he, they needed that extra you know, ball playing midfielder to just break that press. And that's exactly what he did. And he just calmed the game down and he did exactly what Arteta asked of him. And that's, I mean, from your manager, that's all you can ask for. I don't think unless Nketiah was injured or like not hundred percent fit. I don't think, although Havertz had a decent game, like he did what he kind of had to do, could do. I don't think this was the game for him. I think Nketiah, this was Nketiah's game. I think if I'm in Ketia, I'm probably a little bit upset I didn't get... Did he even get subbed on at all in Ketia? Honestly, can't remember. I yeah. don't think he did. I mean, if I'm in Ketia and I'm perfectly healthy, I don't know if he is. But yeah, he didn't get subbed on. Uh, I don't know. Like, I'm probably pretty frustrated with that. Just because you were probably told to the second striker... You know, Jesus goes down, it's your time to shine. And then Jesus goes down, and you don't even get a hint in one of the biggest games of the season in favor of a striker that is not really a goal scorer. <laughs> like, I don't know. Do you share the same opinion? Well, I agree with you that Aniketi is probably frustrated not yeah. to get the start, but I completely disagree that um he should have. Because I thought Havertz played fantastic in this game. He didn't get a goal which he probably should have done mm-hmm. in that you know 1v1 versus Allison but he was exactly what the game demanded because Arteta really needed a 9 uh, or a false 9 someone to play a mm-hmm. pure false 9 in this game because Liver- Liverpool is they're a pressing team they're gonna press tight they're gonna have to man mark and so that's the type of team that a false nine works really well against because they can drop deep and then create that space. And that's exactly how that first goal occurred. Havertz dropped deep, created space for others, and then peeled away. And there was that huge gap in the middle of the field that he eventually ran into. And that led to the goal. And I thought Havertz was very physical, the kind of physicality that Nketiah doesn't quite have. Not that Nketiah is not a physical player. Nketiah has become a much better hold-up player and has definitely built up a lot of strength over the past couple of years, but Havertz's size was a nightmare for Kanate. That drew the first yellow card on Kanate, and then obviously Havertz also drew the second one on Kanate, not necessarily through hold-up play, but just good overall striker play. Mm-hmm. So I thought Havertz had a great game and executed exactly as Arteta you know, meant for him to do. So I thought Havertz was... Listen, when I saw the team sheet I was not excited to see Havertz playing the nine. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily ahead of Inketia, but just in general, mm-hmm. obviously over a you know, injured Jesus, nothing you can really do about that. But Havertz, I thought, played phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I thought he did pretty much all you could ask of him, except yeah. put the ball in the net. For the sake of time, I'll keep my rebuttal short, but I think what I was going for there was a little bit of uh, <clears throat> what's the psychological term for it uh not confirmation bias uh outcome bias i think it's called where uh you judge the decision based on the outcome and not based on the decision that was made before the game whether it was good or not i think 
going into the game, that was not the right play. I think it turned out to be the right play. And in hindsight, it was the right play because he played well. I think this was an Aketia game. And he brings so much more to the table as an out-and-out striker than Havertz does. The, the way the game played out, Havertz was the better, would have, would have played better than Aketia. However, I think before the game going in, again, I don't know the health of Eddie Aketia. I still think it was a bad play to play Havertz. Not succumbing to that outcome bias. That's my, that's my take. Uh, but we do have to move on because we have a couple more matches to cover in a match week 23, starting off with Everton 2, Tottenham Hotspur 2. A pretty back-and-forth game uh, in Merseyside. Richarlison can't stop scoring in the 4th. Jack Harrison in the 30th. Richarlison again in the 41st. And then Jared Braithwaite in the 90th plus four to steal a point at home for the for Everton against Tottenham, who is back on yeah. form. Um, to do that at home is pretty good, especially when you're fighting this points ban that has sunk you into 18th place. Now the relegation zone with how good Luton Town's playing. Uh, they, like I said, are in 18th. Not only a point down, point out of safety, but Luton Town's got a game in hand. So Luton Town, a point out of the relegation zone with a game in hand, and that could be a really good game in hand with the way Luton Town's been playing recently. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I do want to mention before we move on uh, is this Richarlison form, which you briefly mentioned. Yeah. But Richarlison took a lot of slander for his lack of goals last season. So I think it's only right that he does get uh, justified praise because he hasn't just been on you know good form he's been absolutely on fire well he has like 10 goals in his last nine games or like nine in his last eight he's been absolutely ridiculous these last two months he's been scoring for fun um just yeah he's playing insane so i think it's it's only right that he gets that that credit sure Brighton 4, Crystal Palace 1. Uh, Eze and Elise couldn't save him on the day this time. Lewis Dunk in the 3rd. Jack Hinshelwood in the 33rd. Uh, Buena Not in the 34th. Jean-Philippe Mateta in the 71st would be a consolation as João Pedro makes it 4 in the 85th. 4-1 is your final at the Amex. Brighton's up and down for him. Just was down. Now it's up. I'm sure it'll be down soon and then it'll be up again. 3 points of Brighton on the day. Burnley 2, Fulham 2. A nice point for Burnley as they struggle to fight relegation. Uh, Rod- <clears throat> Jao Paulinha in the 70- 17th. Rodrigo Muniz in the 21st sees Fulham go up 2-0 on the road at Turf Moor. But David Datro Fofana in the 71st and then the 91st to steal a point for Burnley at home against Fulham. Uh, these are the kinds of results that you may look back on at the end of the season and say, wow, if that went against us, we may not have survived. They're probably not going to survive anyway, but if they're going to survive, those are the kind of moments you need uh, pretty frequently at this stage of the season. Yeah, if only Chelsea had a striker like that. <laughs> Seriously. He's he's on loan from Chelsea. Is he? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure I'll go back to Chelsea and get loaned back out to fucking, I don't know. Espanol or something. 
Sheffield United nil, Aston Villa five. Aston Villa did not take kindly to getting beat at home. They let all of it out on Sheffield United away from home. John McGinn in the 12th, Ollie Watkins in the 16th, Leon Bailey in the 20th, Yuri, Yuri Tillemans in the 30th, and Alex Marino in the 47th makes very quick work of Sheffield United. In 47 minutes, they were down 5-0. That's the way it would finish. Uh, that is a rock-bottom performance, and guess what? They're rock-bottom. Uh, Villa clinging to that four spot. Tottenham obviously back on full fitness now, back on good form, actively coming for it. So these results are going to need to become the new standard for Villa should they hold on to that four spot. United 3, West Ham nil. Another good performance for Manchester United. Rasmus Hoyland in the 23rd starting to heat up in terms of goals. Uh, maybe it's Sean Mills. Maybe it isn't. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Alejandro Garnacho in the 49th and the 84th sees a comfortable 3-0 victory for United at home. Uh, they might have jumped West Ham at the six. They did with that win. Um, coming for a Europa League spot. Now, West Ham do have a Europa League spot because they won the, uh, the Conference League, uh, but they sit seventh back in that Conference League spot. I don't know what's going on with like this fifth uh, Champions League situation, so I'm not even going to say yeah. Europa League, Conference League until we know for certain, but uh, seventh is what you get for now. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, two. Wolves, four. Cole Palmer in the 19th. Then Mateus Cunha in the 22nd. And the uh, Axel de Sassi, 43rd. Uh, 43rd minute own goal, I should say. And then Mateus Cunha again in the 63rd. And then Mateus Cunha again in the 82nd. Completes his hatcher. Tiago Silva gets a consolation in the 86th as Chelsea go down 4-2 at home. I had multiple friends at this game, believe it or not. Really? And I warned them that this was not... I, I, my friend Oren is at the game. Shout out Oren. Uh, and he told me he was going to this game back over winter break a couple months ago. And I was like, just so you know, they are going to lose that game. Like, they, Pedro Neto will be back. I don't see Chelsea's form... I don't see Chelsea's form changing. It is very likely that if they don't lose that game, they might scrape out a draw. And sure enough, they put in a pooper of a performance. And go down 4-2. Bournemouth 1. Nottingham Forest 1. Justin Kluivert opens it up in the 5th minute. Callum Hudson-Odoi gets equalizer in the 45th. A Philip Billing 84th minute red card would not change the result. Bournemouth draw their second game in a row. 1-1. They sit a modest 12th. On 27 with one game in hand on the rest of the pack. Nottingham Forest sitting 16th with no games in hand on the rest of the pack. Just two points out of relegation for Everton. Nottingham Forest go down next week. Everton win next week. They are in relegation. No on that. And last but not least, Brentford won Man City 3. Neil Mope on a little bit of form. Don't let Neil Mope get hot because yeah. he will piss you off. Uh, yeah. He gets one Why in that goals gap between him and Madison. Yeah. <laughs> Neil Mope in the 21st. Uh, and then Phil Foden in the 45th plus three and the 53rd and the 70th, a hatcher for, for Phil Foden on the road, uh, sees city take all three points. Three, one is your final. Uh, they just need a win in their next match to go top and they play first next week. So they will in all likelihood go top. 
uh, before any other team takes the field. And then, and only then, do we have a title race on our hands? No, we probably still do, but... <laughs> and with that, we will turn to some Match Week 24 coverage. Starting off with Aston Villa hosting Manchester United at Villa Park. Ethan, what do you got? Yeah, this is kind of a bit of a tough one to call. Um, both teams coming off of some big wins. Uh, a lot of goals scored. But honestly, United seem like they have just that bit more momentum coming into this one with the back-to-back games of just really good performances, whereas Villa just kind of beat up on a really shitty team. Uh, that kind of covered up a pretty bad loss at home. Uh, so I'm actually going to go with a 3-2 United win at Villa Park, just as they did at Old Trafford a month and a half ago. Hmm. The double for United over any team this season is a little brave, but Villa specifically. Interesting play. I, I don't see it that way. I think uh, Villa put a thumping on Sheffield. It is Sheffield. Uh, but to beat any team in the Premier League 5-0 is not easy. And takes a great be- deal of quality. Quality that I think will shine through a little bit. I think there's going to be a lot of goals in this game. I think it goes over three goals. Probably four goals. So 2-2, two, 3-2, two, two, probably 2-2. Two, two. Going 2-2. Two, two. One less goal. I don't think United get that winner. And with that, we'll move on to our closing segment of the podcast. And it's Super Bowl time, baby. It's that time oh, of yeah. year. It's the Super Bowl that nobody wanted. <laughs> this is quite possibly the worst possible outcome. Two very hateable teams. Um, one team is the dynasty, and the other team is a team that people think is a system with a system quarterback who is doesn't deserve credit for anything. Um, that would be the Chiefs versus the 49ers. And we have a little bit of Super Bowl-themed closing segment. Ethan, you want to take us through it? Yeah, so uh, similar to what we did last year where we made uh, Premier League player comparisons to NFL player comparisons, pretty much the same deal, just we're doing team comparisons this time. So NFL teams to EPL teams. Uh, Of course, probably the one everyone's heard of is the Cowboys to United. I mean, it's pretty much spot on to absolutely... Huge teams, huge brands, haven't won shit in a really long time, no matter what coach they bring in or what players they bring in. And it's just great to laugh at their fan base. (laughs) So that that wasn't that's just an example. It's too obvious because both of us could have come up with that. Mm. Uh but yeah, so hopefully we got some really good, interesting uh insights and comparisons here. Sure. So, Brian, you want to start us off? I'll start us off. Sure. I'm starting off hot. Not only am I doing All right. a team comparison, but I'm also doing a hmm. player-to-player comparison within the teams. Okay. All right. So, it's Tottenham Hotspur and the Buffalo Bills and Harry Kane to Josh Allen. 
Why? Because Spurs have had continuously good teams the last few years, pu- few years, pushing themselves into more or less the elite tier of club football. The Bills have gone from pure mediocrity to consistent Super Bowl contenders. Both teams have risen with the development of their superstar. One, Harry Kane has left. I think the Bills are a few years behind Harry K- the Tottenham in years of development, but they're pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both have failed to win absolutely anything over the course of their rise to rise out of mediocrity, I should say. Um, I think it's a pretty spot on comparison. You know, Harry Kane, you know, one of the greatest strikers ever. Uh, you wouldn't know it, though, because he's not really winning anything. And he's yeah. he, he, he obviously the stats speak for themselves in terms of goals per game. But he's he hasn't won anything. And you probably give a little more credit to those who have won things like the Van Persies um, versus Josh Allen, who a lot of analysts think is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever based on what he does with his legs, with his arm, like the performances he put in, in these playoffs, like included have been incredible, but he just has this curse over him where he cannot do anything in terms of like winning trophy of any kind, not even like AFC championship game. They have, he has not been to Super Bowl yet. Um, so I think there's a very, very stark comparison between these two teams and players. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That that's a that's a good comparison there, and I feel like I should follow that up because I also have uh Tottenham mm. here, but I'm comparing them to a different team. Go ahead. So I have Tottenham Hotspur and the Miami Dolphins. Mm. All right, so. Starting off, both have very charismatic coaches who really get their message across to their mm-hmm. players and, more importantly, are very funny in their press conferences. Sure. There are a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of clippable moments from uh, Big Ange and uh, Josh McDaniel uh, interviews. Mike McDaniel? So, is it Mike? I think it's yeah, Mike. Yeah, I think you're right. Mike McDaniel. Uh, yeah. So, also, both teams are missing kind of... Uh, an elite talisman, obviously Spurs having just lost Kane uh-huh. and the Dolphins having Tua at quarterback, who's not bad. He's been decent at times, but again, not really an elite yeah. uh, player, but they're still highly productive offensively because of their supplementary players. Uh, obviously, you know, they have Miami as Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, Spurs have James Madison, the human son. So even though they're not the focal point of the attack, they are still the reason why their offense is so highly productive. Mm-hmm. However, both teams really tend to struggle whenever they hit a couple of injuries. And both teams are also, you know, on the higher end of the standings, you know, a team that's improving or exciting to watch, but also can be very volatile and inconsistent with their results, which means that while they're a very good team. Nobody really considers them, you know, title contenders or championship contenders. So, yeah, Miami Dolphins, Tottenham Hotspur is my uh, comparison there. Okay, I like it. I like it. I will continue on to one that really speaks for itself and does not need much explanation. It's Everton and the Cleveland Browns. Two teams and fan bases that have suffered to absolutely no end over the last 10 years. Browns have picked it up recently, but Everton, it's just two fan bases, two 
incredibly passionate fan bases. You know, not much else going on in the town. It's kind of like the dogs and then Ohio. Uh huh. Um, well, you got you got Cincy there, but you know, two different parts of Ohio. Uh, yeah. and then Everton, it's just like one of the most passionate fan bases in the Premier League. I mean, that is a tough place to play. Same thing with Cleveland. Um, but those fan bases have just suffered just to absolutely no end over the last eight to ten years. <laughs> it's just been dreadful. It doesn't matter how who they bring in. Everton spent they spent on Richarlison. They they've brought in players. Uh, they've drafted. They, <laughs> I think, they're like the the like the draft. There's like kind of like a draft analogy in there because Everton's like mm-hmm. academy has been like not that good, and uh, Cleveland's drafts have been horrendous with like their quarterbacks. Yeah. So like, there's like I think there's like almost too much comparison between these two teams, and maybe if the Cleveland, Cleveland Browns are picking it up a little bit, um. And maybe it's a little bit of foreshadowing for Everton. Maybe if they escape this season, they they slip up the table next year. A couple of good signings, but right now it is doom and gloom as it was for the Browns before the last couple of seasons. But yeah, pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty straightforward comparison. Just two long suffering fan bases. Uh, right next one. It's a bit it's a bit more of a specific one because it's two teams, but two teams under specific coaches. Okay. So I have Arsene Wenger's Arsenal and Mike Tomlin's Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm, Okay. So obviously both of these coaches have managed their team for long tenures. Tomlin is still the Steelers head coach. Been there 17 years, I believe. Mm. Uh, Wenger was at Arsenal for 22 years, I believe. Mm. And both reached the peak of their success relatively early in their tenures. Mm. Tomlin won his only Super Bowl with the Steelers in his second year, and Wenger won all three of his titles for Arsenal in the first half of his tenure at Arsenal. Uh, And both continued to have very good and consistent success, you know, well into the later years of their tenures. Tomlin still hasn't had a losing season with the Steelers in 17 years. Yeah. Very impressive record been to the playoffs like 10 or 11 times i believe and wenger finished top four every year until 2017 so again keeping their teams you know at a high level you know despite not uh you know winning titles but both sense fans became very disgruntled with the manager despite the fact that they were probably overachieving with the teams that they do have yeah um yeah listen i don't know a shit ton about football maybe yeah. i just don't know enough about the Steelers, but when I look at that offense, it literally looks like it may be one of the worst offenses <laughs> in the league. And the fact that Tomlin has gotten like in back-to-back years an offense spearheaded by Mason Rudolph and Kenny Pickett to yeah. the playoffs is honestly insane. And the fact that Steelers fans like are like sick of him and like want him gone to me is ridiculous because I think with anybody else at head coach, they're like a four win team like this this does not look like a good team maybe i don't know what i'm talking about i probably don't but to me it looks like tomlin is doing a hell of a job yeah um and yeah and arsenal fans flew wenger out planes over the stadium when like before not before he like finished fifth like even when there was like a chance he wasn't going to finish top four they started flying the wenger out planes despite all that he's done 
So I think there are a lot of parallels between these two teams. Just consistent, you know, good performances that the fans almost took for granted yeah. for a bit. So Yeah, uh, I'll speak of the Steelers a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's not great. Najee is like, he's, he's good. He picked it up towards the end. Uh, I'm a big believer in um, George Pickens as a player. Uh, not with who they have at quarterback, but I think he's a good wide receiver just because I drafted him in, in fantasy a lot this year. So he's kind of like my boy. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. It's really been their defense. That's been good. Nothing to do with the comparison to Tars Menger, but yeah, it's been their defense. That's, that's probably gotten them there. Um, and it's, it's a lot on the coaching and that streak of not having a losing season, especially with the he, Mason Rudolph was out there a couple of years ago. He got slapped in the head with a yeah. helmet by <laughs> Miles Garrett. That was like two, three seasons ago. So yeah, he has had to drag this team out of the slums to scrape away those uh, winning seasons or at least eight and eight seasons. Uh, so yeah, I actually like this comparison a lot because I think that no losing season streak and the top four streak has a lot of like comparisons to it. Yeah. Uh, last but not least for me, I have Aston Villa and the Detroit Lions. Uh, both teams were one of the worst teams in the league just a few years ago. Aston Villa notoriously getting a phantom goal to take them out of the relegation zone. They would have been sent down if not for a uh, goal line technology mishap in all likelihood. Uh, just scraped up in 17th the very next year, took their game to a new level. Similar to the way what Dan Campbell has done to this Detroit Lions team, have drafted very well, just like Villa has, I guess, bought really well recently. Um, but yeah, they were just, you know, bottom of the league, bottom feeders just a couple of years ago. Detroit Lions notoriously being one of the most underachieving franchises over the last 10 years. Uh, and all of a sudden, are, I wouldn't say. T- championship contenders i don't think the detroit lions were championship contenders this year similar to the way villa is not really a championship contender this year but they are entering that top third of the league where that next step is entering that championship tier so i think there's actually a lot of underlying comparisons between these two they also neither of them have a superstar offensively uh ollie Watkins, you can make the argument but these are not you know pfa player of the year contenders these are just very good footballers so you know, Jared Goff is nothing special. I'm on Ross St. Brown, I think, has a very good comparison to Watkins, who he's like, he's not an elite Tyree Kill, Christian McCaffrey offensive player, but he is a very, mm. very good offensive player that they would probably struggle without. And I think that's a lot of comparisons to Ollie Watkins. So I think this is one of my most spot on of the three, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, definitely some really good comparisons in there. And a really good segue into mine, because I also have the Detroit Lions. Mm. But instead, I'm comparing them with Brighton and Hove sure. Albion. Um, yeah, and obviously, you know, Brighton and Villa's uh, journeys have been similar in a lot of ways. So, you know, some of the comparisons I'll make here are very similar to yours. Like the fact that there hasn't been a ton of uh, net spend that has led to this success. I think mm. even less so for Brighton than Villa, because Villa have had some, you know, big major signings brighton have kept their signings you know a lot younger a lot cheaper in general so this success isn't built on you know a lot of big names necessarily 
Um, both teams, similar Villa, have just climbed up the standings because of their coaching and recruitment. Um, and both teams' style of play is also very fun to watch. The Lions obviously have a really aggressive, bold offensive scheme. They run a lot of trick plays. Definitely the type of entertaining football mm. you know fans like to see. And Brighton play really good possession soccer and move the ball very, very well. Um, so again, just both teams are fun to watch, and you just can't help rooting for them. Yeah, you know, when they be the hated rival of yours. Mm. So yeah, I think in general, both I think both Brighton and Villa are both great yeah. uh, comparisons for the Detroit Lions. And that just about wraps it up. Well, one more thing. I know we did a uh, we did a Premier League prediction this week, but well, one more prediction this week. It's Chiefs 49ers at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Ethan, what do you got? Uh, to be honest, I have not thought about this whatsoever. <laughs> well, I'm putting you on um, spot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be missing like the first like third of the game probably because I have an intramural soccer game. That's how much I care about her <laughs> intramural futsal game. That's how much I care about this Super Bowl. Uh, I um, think that's just how much you care about futsal. Yeah, that, that's also true. This is... Yeah, you know, I care very much about this <laughs> intramural futsal league. Um, I'm not rooting for the Chiefs. I'm rooting for the Niners, but I probably think the Chiefs are going to win it. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes versus Purdy, like, obviously it's not just Mahomes versus Purdy, but it's going to be a close game in the clutch. I'm going to have to <laughs> pick Mahomes to yeah. to take them to glory score prediction should should be a decent uh i shouldn't necessarily say that because both of the defenses on these teams have been very good the chiefs defense has been getting a lot better as the playoffs go on i'm gonna say this is gonna be probably a surprisingly low scoring game i'm gonna go like 17 i'm gonna go 17 13 Mm. i can see that i think if the chiefs win it's gonna be something like 17 13 but I honestly think that the 49ers are going to blow them out. Like, I really, I think they're just going to take it to them. Like, it's, I think it's just their year. Like, it kind of has been the whole year. I know they got blitzed by the Ravens, but that's really been the only game where they haven't been, like, in control. Even though they lost, like, the Vikings in that, it's, it was kind of just like a one-off. I, I think that it's their year. This whole, like, Purdy story, like, He'll he'll be probably the worst quarterback to ever win a, a Super Bowl. Um, uh, I think he's better than Foles. I don't know. Foles is pretty magical. Birdie hasn't done much. <laughs> um, it, well, that's not the debate we're having. The debate we're having is who's <laughs> win the Super Bowl. And I think that I'm going to say 31-13 49ers. I, I think they'll, they'll, they're going to run away with it a little bit. Christian McCaffrey, Super Bowl MVP. All right. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Match week 24 coming up. This is the heartbeat of the middle third. Uh, sets us up for the, for the run-in. All to play for. It's just nice. Glad Arsenal got that win. Not just for the fact that I am a Arsenal fan, but the fact that now we have a title race on our hands. Three-way, which we usually don't have. Um, but with that, we will say goodbye. Adios. See ya.